Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. Saddle up, divers, for new tunes and new tours with an old friend. Hey there, it's Leon Maiten. Something I can't help I'm going separate ways But you know that I won't live without you, babe I'm driving on that freeway Trying to kill the time Leaning on our memories So I can rest my eyes I'm going separate ways But you know that I won't live without you, babe If the Americana Music Association made a Pixar movie the lead character could very well be based on our guest. Leon Meitzen has the personality of a leading man that we're all rooting for. Tall, smirking, and handsome, Leon is an eye-twinkling, excited ball of musical energy. He's the type of songwriter that isn't trying to impress you or convince you he's good at what he does. He lets his songs do that for him, and leaves his actual talking for connecting with you as a person. He has a devil-may-care way about him, which is both enviable and disarming. In groups, Leon is a life-of-the-party kind of guy. But one-on-one, he's more reserved. You can still see the sense of anticipation for his next show or fishing trip vibrating under the surface, but he's more at peace. Here's the guy that calls you out of the blue just to let you know he's thinking about you. He's just checking in. It's that thoughtful inner lining that comes out in his songwriting. Pair that with his picking chops, and you've got a recipe for a star that will continue rising on the Americana and country music charts. His first album, Back Till I'm Gone, is a study of homesickness and growing up, and it got the attention of the industry and landed him in festival lineups. The release he's got coming next, which you're hearing a single from right now, is a fantastic evolution of his artistry. We can't wait to hear them, and we think you'll feel the same way after you get to know our dear friend, Leon Meitzen. How do you know if it sucks or not? Well, Leon, on that note, welcome back to Song Divers. I should say, we did do an episode a while ago, and afterwards, your life changed immediately after that because it was right before you were about to go do some stuff that we'll talk about in a minute. But it's so much more to talk about. So much this more time. to talk about this time. And so I think we all decided, like, let's wait and do it again when he's about to push another record out because you were in between releases, and mm-hmm. we felt like it would make more sense to promote something and um, and get more of the story this time. So I'm glad you came back. I'm I'm glad to be here. We should Feels also good. tell people this is our second episode without Ed, uh, and we have here again our dear friend Andrew Bullion. Hello. How are you? I'm glad to be here. You sound great. Yeah. Thanks, uh, we man. should tell people, and we probably talked about it in the intro, but um, Leon, Andrew, and I are all best friends. We've known each Besties. other. Well, they've known each best other a while. I've known them a little less time, but we've all become very, very good friends through music. So you're going to hear a camaraderie that you maybe don't always hear, which is uh, something we're really looking forward to. So Leon, welcome to Song Divers. It is good to be here. It's 1030 and we're just drinking beers and hanging out and I'm I'm we're going to have a good day. 10:30 in the morning. This is going to be great. Yes, we are. 
going to be a good time. We don't do this on every record, no, um, no, but we're excited usually. to be doing it. Um, our dog is not drinking, for anyone that's worried about um, animal cruelty. He's safe. Indy is happy. Um, Leon, let's start as we start every guest. Where are you from? Right here. Clearwater Safety Harbor, Florida. I have been here ever since I was two. My uh, parents are originally from Bosnia. They left the country. We had a war in the 90s. So we came to the U.S., and all I really remember is Florida, pretty much. Were you born in Bosnia? No, I was actually born in the Czech Republic. So we came here. I, I was two years old. I think it was like one and a half. But we came to Rockford, Illinois first. And then my dad didn't really like Rockford. He was like, you know, if we're going to live anywhere, it might as well be sunny, you know. So, no, no offense, Rockford listeners. No, no, I, I love you, Rockford. <laughs> Hold home. Do you have like an earliest memory of being around? And was it was it Florida? I remember. I think my first memory, and this is going to sound really stupid, but I remember uh, being pushed around a, in a shopping cart in Sam's Club, the one on Gulf to Bay in US nineteen. Yep, I that was my one. first That's memory. Like a very specific. It was memory. very very specific. And I remember like looking at those TVs. Remember those TVs in like the early 2000s? They used to have like with the speakers and they mm-hmm. were like mounted like on the floor. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, and I think like Wizard of Oz was playing or something and somebody asked me like, how old are you? And I was like, three. But like I should just showed my fingers. Like, this many. <laughs> but I kind of remember thinking like, I don't know, like this seems right, you know, <laughs> the three. So you're questionably smart from an early age. I don't know yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting because the genre of music that, and we can talk about this a little bit too, but like Americana country mm-hmm. is where you're landing. And I think it's really interesting that like, I think a lot of people probably associate that with America, you know, America. <laughs> but, but how much of having parents from another country and their experience in the U S and you growing up here, knowing that, like how much do you think that's shaped your perspective? Well, even in Bosnia, my dad listened to, you know, he had, records of Chris Christopherson, Bob Dylan. He, he liked a lot of old westerns and that sort of thing. So yeah, my I guess my dad was kind of like the early influence or at least what got me started on that kind of music. Chris Christopherson was was a big deal to me. We obviously know your parents really well too, but mm-hmm. I mean your dad isn't musical. He's a character. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he is he is lyrical certainly, but in terms of you're the only musician, as far as I know, in your family. Mm-hmm. So did you ask to take lessons, or did your parents recommend it? Did, like, how encouraging were they of your music? And I know they're super encouraging now, but... There was there was one year when I was nine years old, and I was like, Dad, like I'm going to ask Santa Claus to bring me a guitar. And he's like, I don't know, man. Like, you know, Santa Claus like wants to know that you're going to like pick that thing up, and it's not just going to be sitting around collecting dust. And... Uh, yeah, Santa Claus brought me a guitar. Thanks, Santa. But yeah, after that, I mean, I was pretty much just, just strumming it around the house, you know, and my mom was you know, starting to get irritated because she'd be trying to cook or do something around the house and, you know, she'd just be hearing me like. So then they were like, all right, let's sign them up for lessons. And that only lasted about six months. And then I, after that, I pretty much just learned everything else off just watching others play and going to open mic nights, um, looking stuff up on YouTube. And YouTube was was crazy. You can learn anything on there. It's interesting because we're around 10 years apart. And so it's funny to hear you talk about that because we had the internet. Like we were using tabs a lot. You have YouTube we had a as a lot resource. Of help. 
We had a lot of help. We just had other ways you could learn in addition to the stuff yeah. that already existed. You know. Sure. Um, so you're nine and you've got a guitar. You've, it sounds like you maybe got the fundamentals down. Did you take to it right away? It felt really natural when I picked it up. You know, it didn't feel like something I had to push. You know, it wasn't like pulling teeth or nothing. Like it just kind of felt right, you know. And then from that point on, I mean, that's all I ever really wanted to do. I mean, growing up with Christofferson as something that's a bedrock, you hear any of the artists we all love, like he's yeah, going to be in there. For sure. But is, is, musical and as uh as wide a knowledge base that my dad has and he is a christopherson fan too like it wasn't something i grew up listening to you know it wasn't on our regular rotation so it's really interesting to me that it it was for you what other stuff got into the rotation as you guys got over here well bob dylan like my dad had a bunch of old records that he he doesn't know where they are but he had a lot of bob dylan records and he was a big dylan fan is it because you hid those records from him under your bed <laughs> no 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 when the, when the war happened i mm. think you know a lot of that stuff got lost and you know sure. nobody really i don't know the full story behind that but but yeah dylan christopherson is, is your mom musical too was that her same no, taste no <laughs> not at all what did she listen to she liked a lot of like old bosnian music what what does old bosnian music sound like like Diddly dee, diddly dee, diddly. <laughs> no, like honestly, like a lot, of, a lot of that music I I grew up around. You know, it was it was fun to listen to. I I still have a really deep appreciation for it. And there's definitely stuff I've kind of gotten out of there. Um, like a lot of those, like yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those kinds like, of chords. I feel like the way that you pick a, a lot of the time feels like it comes from somewhere else, not just like, I mean, obviously John Prine is like an influence, but... It, a little bit of Yeehaw and a little bit of Bosnia. There's that almost Django-y, yeah, you know, Django-y, kind of yeah. feel to some of that music. And it definitely, yeah. yeah, there's definitely some of that. And you, you're, I think one of the things I really enjoy about your music is that you're playing, you know, folk and Americana and country and bluegrass for that matter. Yeah. Like they are what they are because they are meant to carry on tradition. But... I think what we're all drawn to, and I don't want to speak for you, and we'll ask you a little bit about this, but some of the guys we love, like, just as an example, Charlie Crockett, oh, right? Yeah. Somebody Andrew loves. I know you like him a lot. I'm a huge fan of his, but, like, he's doing something slightly unique on that, mm-hmm. and it's, he is a unique perspective and a unique background to the genre. It, like, and again, everybody is, because everybody yeah. brings a different experience to music. Everybody's got their own story. But that yeah. Bosnian piece being a part of your, you know, paper mache of, of when you're making a song, I think it's really cool because you can hear it in your picking style and there's mm-hmm. some Thanks, slight variance that I think is very specific to you. Like you have a guitar voice. We know it's you when you're playing. Yeah. Which I don't know. That's cool. Sure. Never thought about that. That's, which that's that doesn't happen when people are, again, you're in your early 20s. Like most people haven't established that. You know, I'm in my mid 30s, early 30s, uh, mid 30s. And like, I'm, I feel like I'm just now like really like, okay, I know that's my guitar sound. You know? I, I feel like I, you know, I had like a weird mix of, or not weird, but like an unconventional mix of influences, you know, from the time I was super little. So it was kind of like, oh, I don't know whether I want to be, you know, Yeehaw or Django or, you know, so. So you grew up on that stuff. What are you listening to right now? Like, And, and do your parents still listen to the same stuff? Do they listen to some of the stuff you're listening to? Like have, have their taste and your taste changed? They listen to only Leon Mitzen. <laughs> That's all they listen As to. As they should. My yeah. dad's got Spotify played it's, constantly. It's just Leon Mitzen. It's just Leon 24 Mitzen. hours. My dad's keeping me in the algorithm. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. No, but um, I think... So, you know, my dad got me started on Dylan and, and Christopherson. And then from there, I kind of just went down the rabbit hole. 
you know, you go through like a lot of weird phases as a kid. You know, I had a rapper phase. I had a uh, like a like a rock and roll phase. Should we mention your Justin Bieber cover please, phase? Please no. Okay, we won't. But yeah, I, I had a bunch of different phases as a kid. But like anything, I really tried to do always kind of sounded folky and like a little country, you know. So a big thing was, I would say playing in bars. Like I got started playing, like doing bar gigs when I was. 15 mm-hmm. so that was very like you know you're playing in a bar in west central florida like you know people are going to want to hear country music i had to learn a lot of stuff that i didn't know necessarily yet and um you know in a way i feel like that you know that was good practice for me for sure but it definitely got me into a lot of different music you know it, that's interesting i don't think we've had anybody point that out about early on learning that like what did you choose to play and what were you learning it's like well people were asking for these songs so i learned them and i came to appreciate and like them because of that i wouldn't have necessarily found them on my own well also like you know spotify was super killer and like recommending stuff like i I think what was it 2010 when when they came out you know like when you'd be like messaging people on facebook messenger like inbox and then you could see like what everybody was listening to yeah oh yeah so i remember like Spotify coming about and then I think it was about like 15 and something recommended Towns Van Zandt to me that's when my life changed like that's when everything like just kind of stopped and I was like oh shit do you remember what song it was um it was Poncho and Lefty but it was a Heartworn Highways version where he's just sitting there in the kitchen and and then I I watched that movie and there was all these other performances and that whole uh, Texas songwriter scene, like Guy Clark and Steve Earle, it's cool, man. It's that definitely like was a huge pivot point for me. Yeah, their stuff is very specific to them. Yeah, they have a very specific sound, and I'd say also like the the guys that were guys and women, everybody that was inspired by them, you could hear that really specifically too. Absolutely, you know, and that like that next iteration of what they were doing, and those are some of my favorite songwriters too. So you're hearing this stuff, you're being influenced. I think you mentioned too, it's it's also, it's the people you're around that are playing. So around 9, 10, 11, 12, you start going to open mic nights. I think we should definitely acknowledge yeah. Indian Shores. Oh man, that was, Ooh. I love that place. So for those that are not familiar, Indian Shores is a, a really cool coffee shop here in, um, on Clearwater, I guess it's Indian Rocks Beach. No, Indian, Indian Shores. Indian Shores, yeah. Indian Shores yeah. of course, yeah, yes, given there. the name, yeah, right on the nose. Uh, <laughs> So it's a really cool coffee shop. It's been here for a very long time. Um, it's actually owned by a really good friend of ours who is another songwriter on the Ebor City Records label, um, Greg Bowman. And his son, Liam Bowman, is also a fantastic songwriter who we've had on the podcast and will come back. Um, but that's where you met. I mean, this place became and, and is like there. It's an artist enclave. It's like an artist yeah. kind of safe haven in a lot of ways, too. There's a really artistic community that that is built around what they do. And I know sure. a lot of that was, was intentional on Greg's part of wanting to have music be a part of what they were For doing. Sure. How did you identify that as a place to go? Like, what was your first experience going there? Were you nervous getting up? Did you play an original? Did you play a cover? I was nervous for any, any time I, I played in front of people, you know, but that place was really the first place that I um, got hooked up to like a sound system and, and played for like a room. Did somebody suggest it to you? Like, how'd you even know we, what was going on? We, we had a family friend who liked that place and he heard about the open mic and he was going and he told us to come on down and we went. And then uh, we kept coming back every Friday night. Every week, like, 
I would prepare like three songs to sing and all week I would practice. It was all in anticipation of Friday night. Cool. But yeah, I love I love that place. Do you remember what the first song was that you played out there? I actually don't. I don't remember. I think I was too nervous to, to recall. To that. Commit, it was all it was all just a haze. Yeah. When I was coming up, Dunning Brewery was that for me. Oh, so yeah. they were just starting their open mic nights. Um, they had some really cool stuff there. The other thing that was great about that, not just getting up and getting comfortable, you know, in your early teens, but mm-hmm. learning to play with other people. That's where Absolutely. I really started to hone, you know, having the enough chops to get up and play. But as a guitar player and a lead vocalist, like that's where you get comfortable, like directing a band and like giving people the nod and the wink, you know, and those types of things. So I think, you know, your relationships with Liam Bowman, Taylor Rayner, Andrew, I definitely like to throw myself in the mix later in your yeah. later in your twenties here now. But those relationships are pretty formative for you, and for sure. they started there. What was that relationship like at first? So I remember first time we met, I met Liam, Liam Bowman, and uh, you know me and Liam were like super awkward with each other, and uh, we'd always kind of just say like hi awkwardly to each other, and it was it was very you know like hi and bye kind of thing. We were 11 years old, <clears throat> two shy little fuckers, <laughs> and uh, I remember I really looked up to his dad, like, as a songwriter, and his dad was just cool, like, and I remember, like, for some reason, I had thought that Greg, Greg Bowman, uh, was, like, some, like, reformed, like, rock star that, like, you know, got tired of, like, the crazy life and, like, just wanted to open up a coffee shop and, on the beach. And live on the beach. But, yeah. like, you know, then I then I realized that wasn't the case, and I was kind of surprised because the dude's a fucking killer songwriter yeah we should but, tell the audience not to cut you off oh, you're yeah, gonna no. hear an episode with greg pretty soon he's about Absolutely. to put out a record that that you know these guys are all a part of too and mm-hmm. uh once you hear that record and you get to talk to greg you will also be confused and you will have assumed the same thing that leon did yeah dude it, it yeah. was crazy like i remember like you know i i would go to these open mic nights um you know i'd play my few songs and then I would literally just wait there for the rest of the night because Greg would go on last <clears throat> or like towards the end of the night. And yeah, I mean, that that was like a big highlight of the Friday nights for me was just getting to hear Greg play. I always really liked his songs and, you know, I'm, I'm glad he's releasing a record, man. That's that's killer. going to be nice not to have to go down the YouTube rabbit hole to hear him sing, you know. Him. He's hidden long enough. So when did you when did you bring an original to open mic night? Like, were you writing at the time too, or were you just kind of crafting and playing because you enjoyed it and you're getting encouragement? And I'm assuming getting good feedback at the open mic nights. I mean, no, nobody's gonna tell a little kid that they suck, you know. Well, they might not say anything. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but uh, I guess you know it was just good for me to kind of get comfortable because, like, before that, you know, I. it's kind of like a scary thing to, you know, sing in front of a bunch of people. You're, you're like, oh shit, you know. It's terrifying. When I sing in front of these people is crazy. After a while, you know, like it just, it kind of became, it's like driving, second nature. Like you just get the hang of it, do it enough, and it just becomes normal. Tell us about writing. So were you, you're there at Open Mic Night. I'm assuming people, again, I've been been to many of them. It's a mix of covers and originals. Mm-hmm. You know, an open mic night is a place for those things, right? It's to go and, like you said, get comfortable, get used to, like, yeah. being in front of an audience, people paying attention, people not paying attention. Yeah. You know, things going well, things not going well. And also to try out new material uh, yeah. or just the first time you've ever done your own material. And they're generally very welcoming spaces for that. You're 11, 12. Are you writing at home? Are you starting to write songs? I was writing songs, but, I mean, 
they weren't very good. And what were they about? Um, I had one called Home. There were a bunch of, <laughs> they're honestly like there were just a bunch of songs about all these heartbreaks that like I didn't really have yet. You know, like you know when you're like a kid, you're yeah. just making shit up and you're borrowing like, experience. Yeah, you're like borrowing experience. Like you don't have heartbreak at like eleven. You know. Oh, but, but yeah, you think you do though. Oh, you think you, you think do. You, you think do. you've been yeah. through it and back. I had a song called <laughs> yeah. "You and Your Black Heart" when I was like eleven years old or something like that. I mean, maybe held hands like one time. <laughs> Fuck me. That's so, me. so so pathetic. No, I'm just kidding. It is like no, it is fucking loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you guys should know. I felt like this was a, a safe space to bring early up. early songs are those. <laughs> it is a safe space. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. we're not judging. It's, I mean, those early songs. They are a little time capsule of, you know, almost like almost very much a diary. So you're, you're writing these early songs. You're working out your feelings and angst, as was Andrew. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did you feel like you're like, this is something like I, I wrote something I'm proud of and I want to bring this to other people's ears and I'm, I'm comfortable playing this in front of people. What was that song? I think I was like 15 when I wrote this song. It's called Love and Misery. And I had gone up to Savannah, Georgia with my dad. We'd taken a road trip, and then when we were driving back, I got the idea, and I literally just wrote, a, like, a few lines. But me and my dad, we listened to, like, the free wheel and Bob Dylan, like, the whole way back on repeat. When we got home, I just sat down at the kitchen table. My parents went to bed. It was late at night, and I literally just sat there and wrote it by myself, sang it for my parents in the morning. They were like, oh, we like this. And I was like, wait, you didn't like the songs I did before? They're like, no, like, we really like this, you know? Like, th- this song's good. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. And then um, my sister had sent it in to Sirius XM. Well, before she sent it in, so did, I, you, ha- did you record it? Like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did you go to a studio or was it just on a phone? Like, um, we recorded you're 15. it. You're 15. What did you even know what to do? We basically just recorded it in an apartment. Just guitar and vocals. And my sister sent it in to Sirius XM. She found the guy's email and... I, I didn't even know she did this. Well, we should say, too, she didn't just do that. She sent it to, what, like thousands of radio stations? No. no oh, she, she just sent it to them? She just sent it to Oh, I misunderstood this story. So she's just, like, just serious. Oh, yeah, yeah. So at the time, I was listening to Sirius XM a lot. Um, they had, like, a lot of good... Coffee like, House? Coffee House, yes. yeah. Yeah, they had, uh, like, a lot of good folk music on there. And, like, that whole uh, Inside Lou and Davis era. Oh yeah, the music yeah, and they still do. They still they, do. they still do. They got a lot of good stuff on there. Um, but I remember, so actually I don't remember this part. But my sister, she went ahead and took the recording of Love and Misery, and she sent it in to uh, Sirius XM, the Coffee House channel. And what ended up happening is we didn't, she didn't hear back from them for like six months, and then randomly, like I was sixteen by now. Um, they replied and they were like, Hey, we really dig the song. We were going to put this into rotation next week. Like, does that work for you guys? Also, do you want to come up to New York and do like a session, like a live session? And I was like, Holy smokes. Like, I mean, I had failed my chemistry test that day and, you know, thought my parents were going to be pissed at me or something. I I just came home and I was like, shit, you know, (laughs) like, and then my dad picked me up and he's like, yo, I don't even care. Like. He's like, yo, you got a song on X7. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, Anya sent it in. Anya's my sister. Thanks, Anya. Big shout out. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's a good place to kind of pause because you just mentioned the chemistry test. Like, what kind of kid were you at this point? Are you in sports? Are you just focused on music? Like, uh, are playing. you are you getting into trouble? 
I was playing sports. I, I would get into trouble in middle school, but high school, like, you know, I was playing sports. I was playing left bench on the varsity soccer team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sophomore year. A lot of time to think about songwriting. A lot of time to think. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be a professional athlete, but music was really something I felt like I felt like I could do and that I wanted to do, you know, like my I was never like 100% into sports. I liked playing them because it was fun, but I was never the kind of guy that would like sit and like watch a whole game. And I've obviously gotten to know you really well. Like you are a life of the party kind of guy. Were you that in middle school and high school? I always liked to party. It's fun. It is fun. Very fun. Were your friends growing up, were they all, like was music something you shared? It was kind of one of those things like, oh, you play guitar, like you're like a little so they saw they saw artistic endeavors as weakness well yeah you know you're you're like a like an 11 year old kid you know all the dudes are like playing baseball and doing stuff and you're over there singing about some girl that broke your heart they're like you know i'm thinking back to that age for me and my best friends many of which are still good good friends of mine i remember bonding over guitar playing like us talking about songs like looking at tabs together and trying to figure those things out and we were all athletes too but i remember like summers being like going through and going through like a clapton tab and i don't know that any of us looked at music as like a weakness i think we saw it as kind of like a yeah lifestyle yeah Yeah. exactly like gave you the right to dress cooler than the rest of us yeah people i think people see it as like like a cool thing when you've made it but like at that age, like when you're like a little kid, like playing a guitar and there's other other little kids around you. I don't think those little kids think another little kid playing a guitar is cool, which, you know, it's stupid. Fuck them. Yeah. You're writing. You get a song on XM. You, I'm assuming, answer the call and go up to play in New York. Oh, yeah. yeah and how sure. was that? That was awesome. So tell us about the experience. So they, they call you up. You get up there. Like, did you show up? Are they treating you like a famous artist? It Are was you- cool, man. I, I got there like. We took the uh, elevator. I think it was the thirty-something floor, and I was like, "There could be thirty floors in a building? Like that's crazy!" Like I didn't even know elevators go up that. Had you been to New York before? Briefly, like passing through. So that's that's a whole other experience. It's not only that somebody took notice. You're like living the the fantasy of, I got a song on the radio. They called me to fly up to New York. It was cool. It's the dream. I remember just being really like shocked by. By like how how big it was, you know, like there, there was so many buildings, and I was just like, man, I think I want to move here. And then when I finished high school, I was like, all right, well, I got accepted into school up there, and I basically just went up there and lived there for two years. But literally, like as soon as like I was like five days in, like I'd kind of just been feeling like I was on vacation up until that point, and then I like realized like, oh, I live here now. And then I was just like, I don't think I want to live here now. Like, well, that that is a that is a big change from growing up in Florida, certainly. Yeah. Which some people seek out. That's something that doesn't happen to a lot of a lot of songwriters. Yeah. Like, how many songs did you do? I think I did like five. And are you playing to a, a audience, or is it just you're kind of in a studio playing it was for like, a few people? It was like pre-recorded. There was an engineer there. There was the uh, I think it was a program director, and they were super nice. But you know, it was, it was funny. Like I I just never. Um, had that kind of experience before and like i mean the song the only song that i had released at that point was recorded in in an apartment in clearwater no it's a very drastic change (laughs) yeah is that the song they played on Sirius after they recorded that so it's like the live copy house that's the one that they played yeah Yeah. and that's the one that's on spotify currently uh 
Or is it the one from the apartment? The, the one from the apartment. Is on Spotify currently. Yeah. We should mention, too, a very big congratulations. That song reached over a million Spotify plays within only, the last four or five months. Only took seven years. Yeah, but... <laughs> no, it's a, it's a million it's a, plays. It's That's a million plays, really yeah, of a song you, you wrote when you were 16. It's amazing. It, it is. It's pretty crazy. Um, really I never cool. I never really thought I would get a million plays on anything, you know? So it's super cool. It's very cool. And I think I think it speaks to... Clearly, there was a seed of something special in what you were doing. And I think since then, you've, you've accomplished a lot. And I, I do want to talk more about that before you get up to New York. Because before you finish high school and before you go up to, to NYU, you worked on a record. Uh, you, you met, I think, when, when did we meet Taylor Rayner in your journey? Taylor Rayner, I think I met him when I was 17. So did you meet him through Liam? No, no. I, so I met Taylor at a house show. I was playing with, with a cello player at that time. But... We we had met at a house show. Taylor was playing fiddle with another band. I'd kind of, I'd been looking for a fiddle player for a while, so me and Taylor kind of just hit it off. We liked all the same same music and stuff, and we talked for a little bit. And then I invited him out to practice, and he was like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Oh, sweet! Like this is gonna be awesome." And it, it all worked out. I always forget Taylor had had a whole life before me and him met each other you know like you, you meet people and you're like oh time starts now but really like time's been going so when I met Taylor you know Taylor's older than me so yeah he was he was a bit older than me at the time which is nothing now but when you're no yeah 17 17 to 22 or 23 yeah like it's it's crazy yeah I met Taylor at the house show and then when, when the song was on Sirius XM uh, there was this guy uh, that reached out from Iowa um, his name was Bobby Ray Bunch. I love you, Bobby Ray. What a name. <laughs> Big shout out. BRB. Um, but uh, he asked us to, he was like, hey, would you want to come up to Iowa and do some shows? Like, I, you know, I really enjoy your music. Like, would it be great to have you in the Quad Cities. How did he find you? Through Sirius? Just through Sirius, I think. And uh, basically, at first I was kind of thinking like, like, oh, you know, I, I can't just go to Iowa and like play a show and then Taylor was like we could book like shows on the way and like you know we could use my van and like the wisdom of experience and age huh dude yeah man that's what a few years does for you but you know Taylor basically just said yeah we could book a tour and I was like oh shit all right yeah let's do that like that's a pretty good impression. Let's do that. Yeah. So we we booked a few shows on the way up and on the way back down, but we had a great time. And I I think I was like 18 at the time. Like still in high school. It was during summertime. We were gone for like 3 weeks. Had a blast. It was definitely one of the most uh memorable times of my life. For anyone that has not gotten to go on tour, even short runs, if you're on tour, even if you don't even like the people that much, it's a formative experience. When they do happen to be people that you come to appreciate and, and love in this case, they're, yeah, some of the most amazing experiences ever. For and sure. we should say, too, Taylor, you've probably heard talked about on the show before if you're a regular listener. Um, he is one of our best friends. But Taylor also is a fantastic musician and fiddle player, especially, but he plays several instruments. Taylor plays with a lot of bands. The Wandering Hours is somebody we really mm-hmm. like. He's played with Deb Ruby. He plays with a lot of different people that yeah. we're, we're all friends and, and people we enjoy a lot. Part of that shout out is, yes, he's part of your story, but he's also very much like he's made a really good, not even intentionally, he just likes doing it and he is really good at it. He, and he's he's a really tasteful fiddle player in a way that a lot mm-hmm. of fiddle players don't get to, in my opinion, Yeah, um, that I think makes He's him, got his own sound. He does. Absolutely. And he is himself a songwriter. 
And it's funny to have a guy play fiddle so well and then go write stuff that doesn't need or want for fiddle at all, which is, which is really it, funny. It's pretty bizarre, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's why Taylor, I think, is... Again, you're going to hear him talked about and some of the other guys on, on the show. But So you guys are on tour. You're coming back. You're 18 at this point. You wrote a song when you were 15 going on 16. Are you still writing throughout that time? Like, Are you oh, starting yeah. to have songs now fall out? Like, Are you feeling like a songwriter? I wouldn't have really called myself a songwriter yet at that point. I think it was like during my time in New York where I got like really depressed. Like, like you know, I just I was homesick. And like, I had never been homesick before because I had been home the well, entire so, time so yeah, before. You're, I... you're finishing high school. That's an important time in anybody's life. You're moving on to a very obvious next phase of life. We should say you went to NYU, mm-hmm. which and you're in the music program there. Uh, music business. Music business. So how did you identify that as something you wanted to do? I figured it would get me closer to like where I wanted to be. I I don't I wouldn't say I ever really wanted to work in the music business. I just wanted to play music and I figured if I could learn more about what actually goes on behind the music industry, like, you know, maybe that'll help me out somehow. I don't know how, but maybe it will or, you know, maybe I'll make some good connections and but I, honestly like i i think that was just kind of a way to get me out there and you know i wanted to go to new york because i was like all right well i'm never really gonna get to experience this ever again you know like i'm 18 like i might as well just go up there and or at have least a good that time. time in your life you can't imagine experiencing it again yeah yeah like i you know i i just wanted to do something completely like <laughs> to just do like a 180 from what i'd been doing um so that time that i spent up there was actually it definitely came in handy. Like I had a lot of time to myself because um, I didn't know anybody going there, you know, so I was pretty much on my own and I I wrote a ton of songs while I was up there. One of those songs, I think you were up there during the pandemic uh, for the so start of it. For I was up there, went up there in August of 2018. So I was up there until March of 2020. So I remember like when the pandemic hit, <clears throat> I had got on a plane to come down to Florida for spring break. And uh, basically, as soon as I took my seat on the plane, I, I got an email saying, well, school's shut down for the next six months. And I was like, wait, what? You know, and then I haven't been back to New York City since March of 2020. Like I just finished out the rest of my degree from home. When I came back from uh, from New York, I, I ended up getting a job at uh, this commercial fishing dock. And I was filleting fish and packing fish and cleaning pelican shit off the docks. But I mean, it, it was a super fun gig, you know, like Floridian back in Florida. Floridian back in Florida, He's man. Back. Yeah, but well, no, that, that was a that was definitely a weird time because it kind of felt like I was just in purgatory. You know? Well, and you were you were in between a place you were trying to make a new home, and now all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're back, not expecting to be stuck here, just like everybody at that time stuck in one place. But as you said, you're you know, as a lot of songwriters, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're journaling through song to make sense of the experience mm-hmm. that you're going through. Um, yeah. And then again, you're pushing that to other people's ears to watch them either cor- <laughs> like, ah, or like, Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. They get it. Like I'm not the only one that feels this way and I feel late. And so I think a lot of people were writing very uh, sad uh, and confused uh, feeling songs during the pandemic. Yeah, um, everyone sure. from the guy that lives down the street to Kings of Leon, you yeah. know, like everybody was writing sure. those. You wrote during that time a song I just love, uh, "World Gone By," oh, which yeah. we this podcast has talked about. John Prine, somebody we really loved and, and valued as a songwriter and musician, and his whole universe and 
um, his label. But that was a, you know, John Prime was a big influence of yours. Mm -hmm. And we obviously lost him during the pandemic, which was devastating. And the song was very much a, a, a nod, a nod to him. You know, funny story about the song. I initially started writing it as a song for my niece that was about to be born. And, you know, I just thought it would be cool to have a song ready for this kid by the time they're in the world, you know? When I found out, I, I think I'd written the first couple of lines like, the kids are running around, climbing the trees, picking the flowers and chasing the bees. Like, that's all I had written at that point. And then me and my dad went fishing one night. And, uh, like, you know, he was just sitting there in the chair and he, he saw that uh, the news about John Prine passing. So then, I, like, when we went home, I basically just sat down and, and wrote the rest of the song. And it was about the current situation. And, you know, John Prime was a big inspiration of mine. So that was definitely, uh, that was a hard hit, you know, during the pandemic. Yeah, it hit all of us very hard. And we, we have a whole episode dedicated to him with our a bunch of our guests playing covers and yeah. uh, of, of his stuff, which is really, you know, touching and moving. And, and yeah, we miss he's the only that John's in the world. I feel like he's the only uh, songwriter that can make you laugh and cry at the same time, you know. Can we hear World Gone By? For sure. World gone by. Kids are running around, climbing the trees, picking the flowers and chasing the bees. Living off bread and homemade wine is gonna be fine by me. We've been staying inside for quite some time, living on the edges of the world gone by. Lost Bill Withers and we lost John Pride, picking up the pieces of a world gone by. In a world gone by, in a world gone by. Picking up the pieces and staring at a ceiling of clear blue sky In a world gone by, in a world gone by Looking at the evidence, running out of medicine Everybody's crying and sleeping a stride Say there's two more days till the end of this phase Till everything's fine and it's going away But we all know that's a goddamn lie We're picking up the pieces of a world gone by And it's been three months of hearing nothing but lies The politician gambles while the old man dies we're losing our breath and we're losing our pride the politician gambles while the old man dies while the old man dies, while the old man dies Thinking with the hairs that stand on the backs when throats get dry In a world gone by, in a world gone by Looking at the evidence, running out of medicine Everybody's crying and sleeping us dry 
looking at the evidence, running out of medicine, everybody's crying and it's leaving a stride. It's the happiest sounding sad song that you'll you'll ever hear. Very nice. There's a there's a line in there that I uh, I never really got the chance to explain, but um, it was just a fun fact about what me and my family were doing uh, during the pandemic. Um, in the first verse, I say something. Uh, it's like uh, living off li- bread. living off bread and homemade wine. So my dad had taken up the hobby of bread making, and he was just making like these like amazing like. This, just this great dough, and he was making pizza, all sorts of things. And we were was just this hanging. pandemic induced, or was this pre-pandemic? Um, this was pandemic induced. I th- <laughs> I think the uh, pandemic exacerbated it. But he also was making this like walnut shine, um, <laughs> like it was really good, you know. Um, but he w- he was uh, buying all these walnuts, and then <laughs> he would put them on the roof, like like in the sunlight. Like he he would get these bottles of vodka. And then he would empty out some of the vodka. We wouldn't empty him out. We would drink that vodka. But Naturally. he would empty out like a portion of the bottle. And then he'd throw these walnuts in and then just seal it up and then put it in direct sunlight. Just let that shit ferment. So we were just having a good time and drinking homemade alcohol and just enjoying ourselves, you know. As, as many were trying if, they, if yeah. they were able to. It's definitely a weird time, but we definitely made the most of it. Speaking of making the most of things, so that was probably the most, I think that is the most recent single you have out. I know you're about to put stuff out, and we'll talk oh, yeah. about that in a second. But it's been like two and a half years since I put anything out. It's been a out. while. It's yeah. Been a long time. But prior to that, you put out Back Till I'm Gone, which mm-hmm. is a great record, and that's how you and Andrew met, correct? Uh, we we met. actually met for a record before that. Andrew, do you want to tell the story of how we met? I don't know. I Come mean, on. Yeah, I can tell the speak story. Speak to the crowd. Yeah, so at that time, I had a friend that introduced... Leon and myself, we went into the studio. I was actually out going to Blackbird Academy at that time when uh, she called me and she was like, oh, I've been writing with this guy named Leon back in St. Pete. He's really talented and great songwriter, right up your alley with what you're into. I was listening to a lot of like Turnpike Troubadours and uh, different bands. And I think that that was where you and I, you were like, I was like, oh, have you heard this like Turnpike Troubadours record? And Long you were, way from your heart. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as I said that to you, you were Locked like, eyes. Like, did we just become best friends? Because it was just <laughs> an instant connect of like, I understood kind of what you were going for, I think. And then you were like, I have this whole record written and I kind of, I'm excited and I kind of want to do it with you. So, so I wound up finishing up Blackbird Academy and then coming back and we started the record Numb. Is that record even out anymore? No, I took it down. Yeah. So it's old Leon. That's old Leon. Yeah. Too old. It was too old too old Leon. But it was still it was the it was a great time. I mean, you and I like rushed through the whole record in like two days because I, I came back on like a break from Blackbird. I think I was back for a weekend and we like cut fifteen songs or something, twelve songs. In like two days. Yeah, in two days. Wow. Had, had a drummer in the studio, upright bass, just flew through it because I knew I was going back to finish up my time at Blackbird. Yeah. And I just wanted to have the songs with me so then at that time I could start mixing it on my own in Nashville. And then once I came back from that permanently, he and I just I don't know, I think we just kept hanging out and, you know, we were just like, okay, we're we're great friends and it's awesome making music together. And then from that point on, it was you know, referring back to Liam Bowman and Taylor Rayner. If I hadn't have met Leon, I wouldn't have met either of them. And 
the, you know, the, these are these are my best friends in my life, and and now Steph too, and that's another story that we'll touch on. Um, but yeah, it was it was because of that <laughs> you, you goof. Yeah, but it was it was because of that that record numb that that happened, and then and then once we kind of got our crap together, back to them gone happened probably like a year later or something, and we started doing that one at Lala. Uh, mansion which was super fun and i loved that place and um i don't know we just had a lot of good times a lot of good times a lot of late night sessions a lot of uh stops at the press box for late night so much press late, box. late night 1 a.m wings and just lots of beers lots of beer um the stuff dreams are made of yeah yeah well i yeah. think Apparently. speaking of uh, the, the stuff dreams are made of uh, you know andrew in that he mentioned blackbird academy i think for anybody that's if you're just coming to this podcast for the first time, um, you know, Blackbird Academy is a, a famous uh, and, you know, r- a really important music engineering school mm. in Nashville that is at Blackbird Studios. Yeah. Which are which where is... a bunch of famous, fantastic records have been cut, which we can talk about, too. But, you know, so Andrew Andrew went and got his engineering diploma. Yeah. Certificate. Yep. Yeah. Um, and spent time there. And Liam has done that since after yes. working with you on and being impressed by what you do on records. Liam is he's he's done that as well. And that kind of, you know, the same way that Leon, it sounds like, was the uh, the source that brought all these people together and made all these connections. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah thank you. <laughs> Thanks, bud. In that Liam has been that I think, you know, he started to become that, too, because we had we had met Liam through a number of different ways, and a few people had mentioned, "Hey, we know you're, the style you like. You should go check this kid out." So we went and saw Liam play, and um, he was great. And he played with Brian Sutherland, who is another songwriter we absolutely love. And Liam's songs were so good, and his playing was so good that we were like, we fell in love with him. And so we invited him on the podcast. He did an episode. We got to know him that way, and we just stayed in touch after that. And so I think Liam and you played with JT Brown. And oh, Adam Randall he, at, at the, the Hideaway. Songwriters. Yeah, and I came to see you guys, and you had reached out to me, or Liam had connected us and said, hey, one of my other favorite songwriters is my buddy Leon. Like, You should have him in when he's back in town. And so we had stayed, I think you and I had messaged a little bit back and forth, but we never really met. And so I met you that night, and I asked you well, what you had going on now that you were back, and you told me, well, I'm, I got invited to play Gasparilla Music Fest. Yeah. But I don't have a band, and I'm I'm hoping that you know Sam Farmer can do it. Sam is a, a drummer in the area who's fantastic. He he's the drummer for Have Gun Will Travel, um, and he's he's played with Someday Honey and a, a bunch of fantastic bands. And we, we love Sam. Um, Sam couldn't do it; he just wasn't available. And I said, "Well, I'm a multi instrumentalist." Yeah. Was like, "Let me know. I I can I'm actually I can drum. So let me know if it comes down. To worst comes to worst, and you're desperate, shoot me a message." And so I was desperate. A couple <laughs> weeks went by. I love you. And he uh, and he reached out and I was like, oh shit! So I like went and just like, would. Now I gotta learn drums. I did. I, I took it. I took. I took back till I'm gone, and I woodshedded that record for a week. And then you showed up, and we ran it just sight unseen. And you came in a little nervous because we didn't really know each Dude, other that I well. I was on the drive over to your house, and I was like, shit! I really hope he's good. I really, I really want this guy to be good. I really liked you. I was like, I want to play with this guy. I just, I really hope he's like. He knows how to play drums because Steph basically told me he's like I don't really play drums like you know like when I first met him I was per like se. oh well I'm I'm really desperate I need a drummer I, I would have not considered myself a drummer I I had drummed for many years I had not you know the band that I front is is you know me on guitar and vocals so like I had not been behind the kit in a long time but, but I do love how you play drums because you you play it like a songwriter would you have um like a cool perspective on drumming. Thank which you. I, I think a lot of drummers don't have. First of all, shout out to you for no be, being that desperate. 
you know so thank you for that <laughs> desperate times we were a motley for... crew that yes, band we was were. a motley crew motley because you also crew. you also needed a bass player and you came to me you called me on the phone and you were like hey man you know the record and i don't play bass by the way at, at all like whatsoever and you were like you know the record like you you know it you know you can do this you recorded Andrew. this and then you were like what do you think about you know, playing a little bass for for Gasparilla Music Fest, like no no big deal. And then I just was like, at the time when he called, I was like, yeah, I'll one hundred percent do that. I would love to do that. <laughs> and then as the date neared, I started having to wear diapers on on the on the regular because I was so <laughs> nervous to play for that show. But you but, killed it though. Yeah, and that was how we all united. That's how so. we all met. So with that, I mean, I think. I think it is important to note that if you're not from this area, Gasparilla Music Fest very much considered like the festival in our area. Um, you know, it's not Coachella per se, but for us here in the Tampa market, like it's a fantastic festival. Fantastic names come through. Um, and it's definitely a rite of passage to get to be a part of it and Absolutely. for Leon to be asked and for us to get to do that together. It was a, we played a fantastic set. It was really fun. And, and fun. it was fun to get to, like I had heard your record because I had been listening to it, prepping to have you on the show at some point. And, you know, getting to know these guys, but like to come to music through learning the songs really gives you an appreciation for the song craft and the way it's approached. And, you know, I'd, I'd heard some of Andrew's early stuff and Liam, like Liam's early stuff is really, really good and is really well produced. And that Back Time Gone record is a really, really good record. Since then, I think it's probably important for us to touch on too. you know, we talked about recording at Lala, but the Hideaway is an important thing that we all share also. It's a hideaway. really fantastic venue that had been here for over 13, 14, I think it was roughly 14 years. And then it's not it's not there anymore. Um, the community is still there. Um, you know, uh, John, who ran it, is is still around. And he's, he's doing a bunch of really cool musical things. Uh, and we love John. But we miss The Hideaway. And one of the last shows we ever did at The Hideaway, at least as a group, was basically you... So Liam, we talked about Blackbird. Liam decided to go to Blackbird. Uh, in addition to continuing to pursuing songwriting and he got you and Taylor to go up there with him. So you guys, Blackbird's based in Nashville. So Liam's attending school or had attended school. He's graduated since, but the three of you were like, all right, we're doing it. And so you guys pick up and go and unity went with you and you guys get up and go. There's a bit more to that. So while I was working at the dock, I just freshly came back from New York and I was, I was back in Florida and I was like, all right, cool. I'm back in Florida. I'm not leaving again. That, that leaving sucked. I don't want to leave again, you know? And then unity was like, you know, would you ever move to Nashville? We should say hi to unity. Unity is hey, Leon's unity. girlfriend. Oh, so I, hi, I, have, I have the best girlfriend ever. She's honestly the reason I, I decided to quit being stubborn and left to go to Nashville. And I mean, Nashville's brought a lot of good, good things to all of our lives, but unity was really like, like the main factor. Like, she, you know, she had been planting the seed in my head like since I pretty much got back from New York I remember we were over at Maddox Ranch there was a point where you know I kind of that whole purgatory thing like you know where you kind of feel like you're waiting for the next thing but you just don't know what the next thing is sure you know, I was working at the dock I was fishing all the time like that that was my life I wasn't even really playing music at that point you know there was a bit of a hiatus I had started to feel like I had kind of sunken into something that you know it's like where am I going what am I doing right now and I didn't really have a plan um so unity just kept telling me she's like all right maybe we ought to move to Nashville and I was like no I'm in Florida Florida man in Florida like you know she's like yeah well that's stupid we should go to Nashville and then 
there was one time we went camping over at Maddox Ranch. There was like this uh, big hippie festival. A lot of bluegrass bands playing. Mm-hmm. We were sitting there, and everybody was playing music, and that was kind of the point where I was on my hiatus for music. I, I just kind of realized there and then on that trip that I was very unhappy not picking up a guitar and not making that the center point or the centerpiece of my life. So there and then was you know pretty much the point. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm pretty much down for anything. And then Liam had gotten accepted into blackbird he's like yo like like i'm moving to nashville i was like cool me too you know like we're all gonna do this together and then um you know nashville's been fun man like i i love that town i i do miss home occasionally but it's like a 10-hour drive back to home so like i could wake up at five in the morning and be back by three yeah that's an important thing to remember i mean i remember when you guys were were getting ready to go and I, you know, we'd all started to become really good friends by that point. And so it was definitely a bummer, but it was also really exciting because as you said, like, it's like, all right, well, where do, where I aim this thing when there's not a clear path? And that's no, like, again, like Andrew and I are still here in the Tampa market. We love the Tampa market and St. Pete. And there is a scene here that's really important and, and we're working really hard to keep growing it. But Nashville has the MO that it has for very obvious reasons um, from a music business perspective and from a a music community perspective, but it's really hard to pick up and leave a community that you've built where you've got this really strong base of fans and musicians that can come play with you and know your songs and to go to a market where your Uber driver is as good, if not better than any song you've written because there's, that just attracts that talent. I will say, so the thing that bummed me out about New York is that, you know, there's no community in New York. You have like neighborhoods and stuff, but you know, there's not like a scene for music. Tampa Bay, there was a scene. There's still a scene. There's a very vibrant scene, but Nashville, as big of a city as that is, it's got a scene. It's like, it's got all like the pros that somewhere like New York or LA would have. And it's also got like the pros of like a small town. That's what I love about it. People still care about other people in in Nashville, and it, it's cool. It has a lot of similarities to to Florida and home. Both that goes, good and bad. It goes goes a long way, you know. Yeah, both good and bad. Yeah. But I think it says something that you know. I I don't. I wouldn't. I'm sure you've. And again, we've all talked about it. Um, but for the listener, like, I think you guys were nervous and excited. And that was a nice blend of those things. And to your point, I think probably all of you guys were at a point where you're ready to take another step, whatever that was going to be. And so despite how, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but despite how nervous slash excited you were, there's probably just a, like a relief to like, all right, cool. I know what this next thing is now and I can go chase this. It's good to have something to look forward to. That yes. was the lesson I got out of all of this, you know? And as soon as I start feeling stagnant, I start looking for the next thing. Well, I think the other important lesson, if I may, is that you can rebuild a community because you're never going to have people that love you any more than than we do, but you'll find people that can love you as much. And I think from that, like that month, that month, (laughs) we love you too, that month that you guys moved, it was like, okay, they're going to go start over. And you had some connections and stuff there, but fast forward eight, nine months where recording some songs at Blackbird in the studio where Kings of Leon cut only by the night. I think we saw T-Bone Burnett walk day. by while we were there. That was nuts. Liam came back in looking like a ghost because he's like, I just saw T-Bone Burnett. We're like, oh my God. And then we played the basement. I think that same yeah. week we were all up there and you kind of, that was like your first full band gig in Nashville. And we all had to come up yeah. and do that with you, which was this was historic cool. venue getting to do that was super cool. You know? And so like, 
All of a sudden, we felt my, like we pissed off my neighbors too while you guys were oh, in practicing. Town. Yeah, we were definitely we were practicing. <laughs> <laughs> but it, no, it that was fun. It was so. It was a relief, I think. And again, I don't speak for Andrew either, but it was a relief for me to be up there and be like, okay, a we can still do this. We're still going to get to play together, Absolutely. and also like, great, we figured it out, and they're there, and they figured it out, and they're getting gigs, and they're getting cool gigs, and they're making a name like they would, you know? Yeah, it's been a super positive thing that you guys have been out there because it definitely. I mean, I think I've been there probably four times already, maybe even more than that. And you know, every time I go back to Nashville, it's like just an extra inspiration. I mean, I, like I'm inspired here, obviously, all the time. But when you go and you see just just what music can do, the way it brings people together, it's just super inspiring going out there. I do love how like everything revolves around music. In that's Nashville. that's what I'm saying. It's like you know, like even just the paintings that are on the sides of buildings. It's, it's music, like oh, yeah. there's Willie on there. There's and Merle just, Haggard. Like, yeah, it's just it, well, I think the cool. difference is we're a city with a music scene. Mm-hmm. That's a music scene that became a city you know absolutely yeah and i think that's probably the difference and it's the hub of such a big chunk of the music business Mm -hmm. and we won't you know we'll talk about eber city records at some other points on the podcast but you know it's an important destination for us too because some of the things that we have going on with the label and so you know it's it is really nice having you guys there to be able to spend more time there um so talk to us a little bit about the nashville experience so you're there. You've started to establish. You've done some cool stuff up there. What's one of your favorite gigs you've done so far, other than the one we were just talking about at the I was basement? Just about obviously, to say the basement gig. I'll tell you about the first gig I, I played in Nashville. Let's hear it. So I was only like a few days in, and there was uh, an artist from Florida. Her name is Van Plating. You guys know Van. We Plating. love Van. Oh yeah. And Van's Van cool. will be on the show. Um, and she's actually collaborated. She contributed to the next single that Mercy McCoy has coming out. Oh, so hell, we're really yeah, excited. Man. Yeah, and we've done some fun shows with Van. Well, we had just moved up there, and Van was actually doing a run through Nashville. She played a couple shows up there, and she asked if we wanted to play at the Bowery Vault, which I think had recently opened up at the time. Super cool venue. Very small room, but it's, like, super intimate, you know, and, like, it it just feels good to play it, you know. Really good sound, and we had... uh, She got us into the songwriters round over there, and we had played, and, I mean, I remember... Uh, Taylor Rayner had just because long story short we had all moved up like as like a convoy but Taylor had a few extra things he had to get done in Tampa Bay before he moved so he came a few days later but I was a few days in like living in Nashville and Taylor literally drove straight up and went to the Bowery Vault didn't go to the new house just he had his whole life packed in his van his little chevy cargo van just i i literally pulled up to the venue and i see like it's the, the most van. taylor story i've ever heard though we'll talk to taylor about that when he's on the show after his record comes yeah. out we gotta um, like paint it or something like it's gotta look <laughs> but there's probably something too you're moving to a city to go pursue music so is it better to get there and sit around for three days with nothing or is it better to just drive literally right to the gig oh he literally <laughs> jump right in the like, water. here it goes you're right in Straight to the Straight gig. Straight to the gig. Yeah. And I just walk in and I'm like, oh, hey. He's like, oh, hey. <laughs> Here we are again. Here we are again. But that's him, though. Like, yeah, that's who he is. He, he, he will man. just, if there's a show or any sort of, he will drive anywhere, any amount of hours, anytime to that, be That's at his a show. life. He, like, he, he's, he's the real deal. Yeah. I think a lot of people aren't the real deal, but Taylor's the <laughs> real the fucking real deal. deal. Like, he will go to any length. To yeah, play a show. Absolutely. To make sure that it happens. Yeah. Well, with what you guys are doing, you owe it to the world to play as many shows as possible. Thank I want to hear brother. you guys. So it was a good reception though. It was a good reception. I was really nervous. And I you know, I had uh I felt like I kind of needed that fire under my ass. You talked about the first gig in Nashville. I do think, you know, and 
it's important to talk about, we just talked about what an important community we have. And like, obviously we're all very close and tight. I think at the center of that, you and Liam and Taylor probably are that central hub that were because you guys knew each other and you know, you guys were that connection. And I think it's important to note too, that you guys don't compete. I don't think, but I, but there's a keep each other on, on our toes. You, you keep, know? because each of you are doing something like, wow, that's really cool that that person's doing that. And yeah. it sort of pushes you to like, you're inspired by what your yeah. friend is doing and you know that they're rooting for you. But I think the fact that all three of you, I mean, fight, all, that fight, all of us, we're all fighting for ourselves, you know, but like, it's helpful because we have such a supportive environment. Like if any one of us like has a bad day, you know, like damn well that you could go to the other two and like talk about your shit and you know, get your feelings out there and you know all that worry like it goes away you know for sure we're definitely like at this point i feel like it's more like a family you know i was gonna without question i was gonna say that there's something to it's one thing to be inspired by what your friends are doing and them influence you because they're so good and they are actively growing also they're also challenging you passively you know what i mean It's, it's not like, like they're like, oh, you should be doing this, but it's like you're watching what they're doing. And you you're like, see your friend do something cool, and like if you're like in that point of your life where you're being lazy and sitting on your ass, exactly, like, that'll light a It'll fire under you. Up. You're like, yeah. man, I, I want to do cool shit, and it, it's, it's like healthy. a healthy, it's a healthy competitive, but not so. It's a healthy supportive. We're environment. not trying to knock the other one down. But no, it's, we're but trying it's, to build each other up, and, and I think that that's what yeah. like it's a benchmark. Absolutely. absolutely, and I think you and I were kind of talking about this either yesterday or this morning. It's just a healthy growth that naturally happens yeah. with with us all, like because it's just one person learns a new trick on something, and then you're like, "How do you do that?" And then it's whether it be producing or whether it be guitar mm-hmm. or songwriting, and then it's just like yeah. you're constantly pushing each other, you know, to grow. And it's and absolutely. it's yeah, it's not competitive. It's it's well, maybe it's a little bit competitive, but I, I don't think we're like it's, ov- overtly being competitive. I think it's more you're competing with yourself and yeah. what your yeah. expectations are, and because they do something that you are thrilled for them for mm. it moves your own benchmark up yep. of like you wanting to do that yeah. i think also you guys all in, and this is true of me too and it's part of what andrew and i were talking about this morning also because we're gigging tonight and yeah. my band mercy mccoy is actually backing leon as part of a summer concert series that he were study records is putting on with tarpon arts and in in doing that and building out the sound for that you know, I was, I was like the happiest I've ever been with my guitar sound. And very much a lot of that is like Liam. It's I really like Liam's guitar sound. I've taken a lot of what he's done and it's really influenced the way I play. And then Andrew and I spent all last night working on a song that is totally inspired by just you guys going to Nashville and pursuing that and some other stuff. But like the licks are coming from one of my favorite new songs of yours. So like even just in me in the two going on three years I've known you guys and come to love you, the inspiration I've gotten the way you've impacted just me, like it just reminds me how much you guys have actually impacted each other, whether it's visible or audible and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It is crazy. Sometimes, sometimes it's easy to forget. And then, you know, you'll have like an aha moment or some light bulb will turn on and you're like, Oh shit. You yeah. Know, these fuckers really uh, changed my these life. These guys changed my life. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. Well, I think too, and and, and we can move on from this topic a little bit, but I, I do think it's important because the other thing that it allows you to do and has allowed you all three to do together with each of each other, like you've all enjoyed the same thing, which is, and, and I love having a band because I'm happy with the stuff that I do, but having a band that's really good, get it, and like realize that song for you is totally different than sitting down and just picking it yourself, right? Absolutely. For you to get to do that, like you didn't necessarily have a solid band until we all did our thing for a while. But 
you had Liam and Taylor to be able to contribute and sing harmony. And so there was a realization of all of each other's songs getting yeah. to do that together. Absolutely. So you had a built-in band. And again, like it's great to have a support group, but mm-hmm. like having that with people that are so singularly talented, get what you're doing and be able to contribute. And then you be able to do that in return is just such a special thing that it it pushes you along because of the constant positive reinforcement you're getting from the art you're putting in the world that other artists that are maybe as talented aren't getting because they don't have those tools or those ingredients to throw in what they're cooking. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to also welcome it too. You have to be yes. welcome to criticism or or having somebody be like, dude, that's amazing. Yeah. Or the opposite. Or shit. Like, that's that's, that's shit. a shit yeah. song. That song doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody, any of us would say it that way but you know it's it's just almost like just somebody keeping you in check at at all times somebody bounce off of it was like what i was talking about with you last night when we were mixing out I, I just was like oh man i love having steph or whoever it is in the room because if i'm mixing by myself i can sit there for hours and be like i don't have any perspective anymore and then it's just like i have you or leon or, or whoever to bounce that off of and it's just this great support group of oh, yeah. of musicians and friends it's just super special well, but. and I think too, I would say that feedback loop's really important. How are you with a feedback loop now? I think I'm pretty good at taking advice. I don't I don't necessarily always seek it out, but I do appreciate it, you know, when it comes my way. You've got a single coming out on June sixth. Second. Second. June second. Separate uh, ways. I mentioned earlier we're getting to back you tonight, which is really fun. I'm so stoked. I've gotten to I haven't got to listen to all these songs. Andrew's sent me stuff and you've sent me stuff. And so I've listened to the songs, but getting to know these songs through playing them first has been really fun. And hearing the lyrics, I can hear you writing from a progressed perspective. And it's, it seems like you're thinking a lot about that next phase of being a musician. Like you were supporting yourself in a number of different ways. Um, Most recently you are full on like, you're full on music. Like you have pulled the rug out and you're like, no, I'm going for it. And no so you're, safety net. you're about to go, go, you're about to go out on the road Eggs in one basket. That's right. But, but anybody that knows you and has heard you play would be like, yeah, you sh- yeah, of course you should be doing that. And so a lot of the songs I'm hearing very much lyrically, you thinking about and contemplating where you've been, what that's, what that's done to shape who you are currently. And then the things you have to not say goodbye to, but be okay being away from for a while. So you can go pursue this call it a dream, but call it a, a living of something that's really special to get to do. For example, separate ways is the first one that you're putting out. It's a great song. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, the song is literally called separate ways. Some people can make some assumptions about what that's talking about, but you know, very much the lyrics are, you know, basically, you've got a lot of weight on your shoulders. You feel like you need to go pursue something. You'll never leave or let go of the people that made you who you are, but you have to go pursue this new thing. It is, yeah. I mean, it, the whole song, I'm basically just contemplating like the idea of not really being able to stay in one location. Not that I wouldn't want to. Like, I, I got great family, I got great friends, and I got a great girlfriend. Um, but I feel like in this point in my life, it is something I've kind of been grappling with. Just like the idea of, of having to leave a few things behind, you know, for like a month or two at a time. It is kind of rough. But at the same time, there's a romance But it's super to the open exciting. Road. It's super exciting. Like people write about that shit all the time. So I don't know if how glamorous it's going to be. I think I'm basically going to be living out of my car and camping for the next 
two months. There's a bunch of songwriters listening going, yeah. I'm so excited. I'm I'm welcoming it with open arms. As you should. But I'm going to miss my girlfriend mm-hmm. a Amen. lot. Yeah. Love you, Unity. Wow. Don't you cut that out. That won't hey, be cut out. You keep that in I there. needed those brownie points. Well, there's You're a- like, babe, fast forward to one hour, 32 <laughs> seconds, and play. <laughs> it is, but having heard, and you know, you laid, you came home for a little while from Nashville, and you cut a bunch of stuff at Studio B, where, where Andrew and I cut a lot of stuff out, our friend Brian Merrill's studio, uh, where we were on Bronx Recording out of, and you cut a bunch of really cool acoustic tracks for what I think is now going to be two 10-song records, probably? We, we did... Uh... The drums, the vocals, and the guitar, like the rhythm guitar of basically the backbones of the songs have been, of 20 songs have been done in that studio. And then we, we've just been overdubbing in, at our place in Asheville. Yeah. And they're, they're, all, they're all really good. And they're all contemplation, some really lighthearted, some not so lighthearted. But there's, there's a lot, you can hear your influences like really realized, but also your own voice coming out. I think of songs like one of my favorites is Whenever I'm Waiting on You. Oh, you like that one? I love, that, I love song. that song. And it's a really playful song, but you do these little nuanced things that are very Leon. It's like you can hear the Van Zant, you can hear Prine in it, but you can, like, there's little things that are like, oh, no, that's a Leon Meitzen song. Like, that's cool, man. And it's the way you approach lyrics, too. There's a little bit of a, just a, uh, an indirect path to some of these things. And I think you're a really good example of somebody who, You'll play it down in person. You're a casual guy. We all like to have fun. But then you can hear in your songs like this really well-articulated, you know, vocabulary of not just perspective, but, you know, words and musical phrasing. And and it, I love that because it's like, again, you you would probably rather disarm somebody and make them feel very comfortable than let them even for a second think that you might be so smart that they should feel uncomfortable around yeah. you. But mm-hmm. Like you can hear it in your songwriting and it's, it, there's a really playful, intelligent perspective in the way that you're doing stuff, especially in your new songs, which I really, really enjoy. Thanks for thinking I'm smart. You I didn't are, say I think you're smart. smart. You are <laughs> a smart man. I said you sound smart. But in that record, I think one of the other ones I really like is a song called Wandering Fast. You like Wandering Fast? I, it's the, the, well, I'll let you talk about it. I mean, but it's a, it's a I'd say a solemn kind of, you know, a reflective tune and it's kind of a little bit nostalgic. It feels kind of sad. That song. Well, you know how earlier I said I got on the plane to come back home to Florida from New York and I haven't been back since that was March, 2020. So this was the first song I wrote when I got back home. And I guess like at that point, I basically just knew like in my heart that I wasn't going to be going back to New York and I couldn't tell if it was like a given up thing or if it was, you know, like if I really wanted to go back to New York, I would have found a way to go and do that and be there, like going to school mid pandemic. But like, you know, or like doing my classes remotely or something. And I, the only difference was I was doing them remotely from the comfort of Florida. So I I couldn't really tell if I was given up or if maybe the pandemic saved me from giving up. I think I would have given up had the pandemic not not happened, which, you know, it's weird to say. I think a lot of people have very conflicting feelings about having any positive come out of such a terrible thing. For sure. Absolutely. Let us feel a little bit of it with your tune. Hell yeah. Wandering Fast? It's Wandering Fast. 
coming home today It's time I'm back to stay In the morning sun don't shine as clear as day Taking time to breathe Right back where I need to be After wandering fast and breaking glass on night street and I'm digging my grave I'm coming home to stay The road is put out number to my name And I'm living here today After I've been on this way Memories always find me where I lay After watering fast and breaking glass on my street Got me beat Now I'm living On the sea This ain't even over Now I'm living sober Till that fin strikes three And I remember Losing count The last time That I struck out And I was wandering Fast and breaking Glass on that street I'm digging my grave I'm coming on to stay The road is put a number to my name And I'm living here today After I've been on this way So was that like you woke up the next morning after that experience and wrote that tune or did you reflect on it later? Oh, like, when did that come out? I reflected on it for, for months and then finally like when I came back to Florida, then I kind of had the time to sit down and, you know, really uh, hash it out on on paper. Did it occur to you at the time where you're like, well, it's going to be a good song or was it more of it had been kicking around in your head and eventually you're like, I Kick, need to work Kicking around this. in my head. For sure. Are you a lyrics first, title first, or music first songwriter? As, as far as like my uh, writing process goes? Yeah, your writing process. Sometimes I'll get like a good title, but usually, I mean, I, I'll get the chords first, and then I'll just think of what the chords sound like to me, and then, then the song will come. Or sometimes I feel like maybe the chords that like I'm messing around with, maybe like 
those are influenced by whatever is going on in my life. And then that somehow comes out. Like, whatever I think that thing sounds like. You know, if it's sad, it sounds sad. If it's happy, yee, you know, it's happy. But then if in between, I'll I'll figure something out, you know. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, I'll like I'll, I'll read a good uh, story or I'll watch a good movie, and then you know, you can read. You're a good song. I can read. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, know that. about that, man. <laughs> audiobooks. Beautiful. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't do audiobooks. But yeah, like I, I like reading every now and then, and you know, I'll find a good story that I liked or. I'll watch a good movie that I, you know, really dig, and that'll inspire inspire a song. I like I wrote this murder ballad. It's gonna be on the new uh, new what do you call it? Record? An album, yeah, the new album. So, I, ballad I, of a prodigal son. Ballad of a prodigal son. So that song was actually inspired by a Towns Van Zant tune. Um, there was one line in one of his songs. The song's called "Waiting Around to Die," and you know, it's it's a really sad song. Um, it is indeed, but it's a good story. And there's one line in there, um, where he talks about his parents and he says, um, one, one time friends, I had a ma, even had a pa. He beat her with a belt once cause she cried. And I was like, like, you know, that verse just kind of moved on, you know, I was like, Oh, like that sounds like it could be like a story in and of itself. So I just, that whole murder ballad that I wrote was inspired off that one town's Van Zandt line. I think it's interesting, the whole murder ballad thing. So Joshua Riley, he's a fantastic songwriter. He's got stuff coming out. He's he's a Ebor City Records artist, too, and he's been on the podcast. Me and Josh go way back. For sure. To when I was 11. So Josh, you know, Josh, and we talked about it on the podcast with him. Josh was running the open mic nights at Whistle Stop. Oh, yeah. I grew up in Safety Harbor also. That was when I was back from college. Like, that was the open mic night. I started sort of testing my Mm -hmm. guitar strength again which had a lot to be desired, but Josh was so cool and he was so good and is Such so good. Nice guy. Uh, Josh has since, and we've talked about it again, Crooked Thumb, he runs a songwriter night there every two oh, weeks. Yeah. He gives you a prompt. And so murder ballads were one of them. And I think that very much came from, there's so many good songwriters, especially in, in country and Americana and folk that tell these murder ballad stories. Yeah, storytelling. Even our modern, you know, modern heroes like Jason Isbell, you know, I think Live Oak is kind of one of those, not even kind of, like it's one of those tunes, oh, yeah. you know, and it's got this very dark noir feel to it. And it's fun to hear you talk about where it came from because because it's easy. Oh, this guy's a country artist. He sh- I hope he has a murder ballad somewhere. Like it came from you being inspired by what they did. And it, it feels, when you when you hear that, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to have you do that one necessarily because it's very sad. But It's a long ass song. But in, we're playing it tonight and the song moves and it really pulls you in. It affects you. You know, it's a very well-written song and it's a very well-articulated story. Luckily, one that did not happen to you and is not first person. Oh, everything in that song is true, man. <laughs> Experience that well, firsthand. It, it's, true for some, it's true for somebody. Somebody. You know, and it, it feels like story, you're, yeah. you're doing it justice, which I think is is cool. Texturally on the album, that's one that like, so you know, I, I think you and I, a few times, like I was, I was like, oh, like, I like that song. It's cool. But like, you know, it's like, well, I don't know how it's going to fit. I don't know how it's going to fit. And then like now that we finished the production of it for the album, I'm just like, this it puts you into a space. It's like, it's like, Oh, I'm where they, it's dark and it's awesome. I love the way that that song came out. It's a really great song. I'm glad it worked. Taylor's, out, I Taylor's, had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Taylor's fiddling all over it. And we got Liam on there. It's, it's good stuff. It's, it's good stuff. So 
I want to transition to a piece that I think is really important for you to touch on. Um, while you were in Nashville, you were working for you're working in the music business, and you were you weren't doing something specifically related to music, but you were you're working in uh, brand partnerships. Brand partnerships, exactly. Um, but in that, I think you were around some things, and so if you're a listener and you're listening, you're going, "Wow, this guy was on Sirius when he was he's 16. He's got over a million streams on a song on Spotify, and he's got a bunch of other really good stuff on Spotify." If anyone hasn't by this point in the podcast gone and Googled, Leon, you're going to see a fantastic music video for World Gone By. Directed by Dylan Melcher. Yep. Very he's, talented filmmaker from our area. Dude. Yeah. Um, I think they're probably listening going, okay, well, what does this guy know that I don't? And I think it's important because we've talked about it a lot. Like you are still very much figuring it out. And one of the things that people are going to see you doing is you're posting a lot. You were reluctant to do it for a while. We all continue to be, but you have essentially, you are in the process of courting management, looking for a team and building a team um, for people to believe in you. And some of the advice and coaching you're getting from some of the people that are are talking to you and, and you know, giving you some positive reinforcement, they're talking to you a lot about the game of the algorithm and what you need to do to get yourself out there because labels are not investing in new talent. They want an established, finished product at this point. And so, to get them to take a chance on you, one of the things they've coached you on doing is you've got to build a brand and 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 build a following and, and doing that authentically. And I think you're doing a really good job of it. And you've you're putting in the time, like you truly are, and you've seen it double your following in that time. I, I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what that advice has been like, what that's felt like for you, and kind of grappling with having to do that. It's definitely given um some direction to me. You know, like I'm I'm not working a full time job. <clears throat> anymore but like you know in order to make music a full-time job like before I was really reluctant to post like reels all the time because I was like oh like I don't want to get on TikTok you know like screw TikTok you know but then I kind of took a step back and I looked at it and, you know it it makes sense you know like I I really got to put myself out there if I want to make this a career you know like that's just what it is nowadays you know it's not like but know, it's not an if I think that's the thing too is like yeah. it's not an if for you. It is yeah. it is the career you're pursuing. You don't sure. feel like it's the career you want it to be right now because of what you know is out there, but it it you are a real professional and you have been a professional musician for a while. But to your point, it's it hasn't been your full meal ticket until now and I think no. that's the change. And that maybe that was the push that so many people need yeah. probably to go out and say, "All right, how do I take advantage of the resources and advice I'm getting and yeah. just get over myself?" Yeah. It's like a weird like mental block, but like you know, you might be able to say like, oh, I can go full in even if I do have a safety net. But like you don't really go full in unless you have nothing else. You have to fun. take that step off the ledge for sure. Yeah, sure. Like, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's like you have to. It's fucking scary. Commit. Absolutely. <laughs> it's definitely like, yeah. yeah. But it's definitely been rewarding so far. Um, I guess like the real challenge is just trying to find like, you know, think of ways to fill your days and stuff. Like, you know, I mean, for the past month, I've, I've been working on getting that tour booked out west and you know finishing up the rest of this album and you know just continuing to produce content that i don't think is super cheesy or nothing um but yeah just trying to fill your days every day like i you know i wake up in the morning i find a bunch of things to do i make a list and like i just spend my day executing that well and i think one of the things too you mentioned it earlier but um one of your other outlets aside from music is fishing and and specifically fly fishing and there's a whole 
fantastic culture um, related to fishing. Certainly, we're in Florida, but but fly fishing as a kind of a subculture there. There's yeah. an even more specific art. You know, yeah. um, it's almost fly fishing is almost the Americana country genre of fishing. Literally, you know what yeah. I mean? It feels like, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think what's important is that you were talking about like filling my time and, you know, n- not to say that everything you do has an angle to help your career, but that the things that you are doing, you are trying to do and you're thinking of them in a way that do further your overall goal of being a musician. And I think in that, like building a community, another community outside of music in fishing culture are people that are going to support you on your musical journey as well. It, and honestly, that, that is super convenient. I mean, like, you know, I just love to fish so much that I figured like, all right, well, if, if this goes hand in hand with my music, then that means I'm not wasting time. If I'm out there fishing, like I don't have to feel guilty. Like I should be doing something else. If I just make music and fishing, fly fishing, my life, then that'll be my life. I just want to find a way to pay my bills doing the things I love. Well, and it's also, you identify as a Floridian through and through. Yeah. We grew up here too. And well, actually I grew up here. I shouldn't speak for you. You're you're New Yorker. I'm a New York boy. Yeah. Now you're down here. But, Um, but to say, you know, one of the tunes, uh, Mangrove Shores, which is a really fun tune that we're, we're playing also. And, um, we played during your, your farewell show with Leon and Taylor and us, um, at the hideaway, that song, one of the lyrics in there I really like, which is, you know, look, I, everybody's got their problems with their, they grew up and it's, you know, but they have the things that they love. I've always maintained, it's not as sexy to hear the word Florida in a song. Like it is to hear like California or like new, new Orleans makes its way into every song. Yeah. Like Texas or like Te- totally. And I hear those, maybe yeah. it's because I grew up here. So I'm just like really sensitive to it. It's, and it's I'm a like, hard oh. word. Florida is a hard word but, to throw But Florida a has a lot of it's got, it's baggage. It's got a lot, lot to share. However, <laughs> one of the things you said that I love in the, one of the lyrics is, people always seem to have something to say, yet they can't stop coming our way. We just got people moving down here nonstop. You know, you see things that are really integral to like, you know, the culture, the community, like the hideaway closes down because some asshole from DC bought the building and doesn't want to renew the lease. And then, you know, there's going to be a high rise coming up in there, like in the next couple of years. Sure. So, I mean, that definitely pisses me off. And no, it's a song. It's a fun song with, with pride. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I'm proud of where I grew up and like, I really love this place, but it's definitely been hard seeing it change so much. And, you know, especially in the last couple of years, there's a lot of, a lot more people coming down. Like we're cool now. We're on the map now, you know. And there's pros got all and these cons songwriters coming out of our ears. People just want to be down here and absorb oh, man. it. Man, yep. Florida's known for music. What? <laughs> well, but, no, but yeah. you're gonna have the task, which is a little easier from Florida. Trying to, you know, rather than trying to dip into Florida, you're about to go out on tour. You're taking all these new songs out on the road. Where are you headed? I'm gonna be going way out west. Um, Headed up to Jacksonville for a few days. Going to do two shows up there, and then um, Blue Jay is one of them. Blue Jay listening, fantastic room. listening. Oh room. man, I love that space, man. I, I've actually never uh, played a show there, but I'm I'm stoked. It's exciting. The people space. seem really nice. And then after Jacksonville, um, I'm actually going to be traveling with a good buddy of mine, Noah Sanford. Um, he's a filmmaker, and we're going to be. The whole premise of the trip is to play shows and fish and camp in like weird spots and to document the entire thing. So not a bad life. Not Sounds a bad pretty life. Good. Not Fishing bad and music. Life. Can't complain. Mm-hmm. Can't complain indeed. We're gonna be in Texas for I think like two and a half weeks. And then we're gonna go up to Wyoming, then up to Montana, back to Wyoming, and then Colorado. It's gonna be fun. 
I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We're super excited for you. And we're super excited to send you off. We're doing a big show tonight. So Joe Luke, uh, Joe Hostler, uh, you know, part of the 7C family over there and a fantastic songwriter who's working on a, a cool new records opening the night. And then as we talked about, we're getting to do a full band show for you, play a bunch of the new songs, some of the old stuff. I'm happy to be kicking it off in Florida. Heck yeah, man. Like that's yeah. the only right way to do this. No, it's going to be really, really exciting. I'm, this is not coming out before that. So people hearing this will have missed that show and we apologize for that, but um, it's going to be a really fun night. And for the, those of you that are listening to this and we're at the show, thank you for being there. I can already tell you we had a great time. You want to send us off with something? It's like the take me home country roads of Florida. Mangrove Shores. Always found it funny, no one sang about her Cursed her name till left without her Eating in the skies of Auburn, wet with rain With a country smile and big city talk Best of both worlds and she won't stop walking Towards the rain on a sunny day Yeah, she raised me good and she raised me right Taught me how to fish, she taught me how to fight She showed me how to be the man I am today People always seem to have something to say Yet they can't stop coming her way I guess it's time I went and set them straight Been running like a child without a home Ain't got no place I gotta go yet Feeling down like a dog without a bone Take me back where the golf meets the mangrove shore Everybody's always just talking to me Talking to me about the things I've seen And the things I've heard On the news today But all I've been doing is casting a line Fishing away and wasting time Now it's safe to say that I didn't lose my mind Been running like a child without a home Ain't got no place I gotta go Feeling now like a dog without a bone Take me back where the golf meets mango shores yeah. Take me back where the golf meets mango shores Leon, thanks for doing this, man. We love you. Thanks Good luck out on the me, road, man. man. Thank you. Come back and see us. Definitely will, brother. Cheers, brother. I've been chasing you around the sun Digging tunnels just to try and catch up I stayed at feet while times got sad There's a blue sky, babe, just in time for it all comes back Thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own, Songs we heard in this episode include Separate Ways, World Gone By, Wandering Fast, Mangrove Shores, and Blue Sky, all by Leon Meitzen. Support the artists you hear on this podcast by following them on Spotify and wherever else you get your tunes. And keep up with them on social media. 
You can find Leon on Instagram at Leon Meitzen. That's L-E-O-N-M-A-J-C-E-N. And you can support Song Divers by subscribing to our feed and leaving us a glowing review everywhere you get your podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Song Divers and our producers at Ebor City Records. Ebor is spelled Y-B-O-R. If you happen to be heading out on tour, answering the call of the open road like Leon is, we'll try to have another episode for you to listen to out there real soon. Until then, stay safe, and we'll look forward to hearing about your adventures in your next song. Yeah, make me sound good, audio nerd. Hey there, it's Leon Meitzen. Welcome to the uh, bad. Don't you know I, I'm a trouble man? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Woo. Okay, uh, just a reminder to both of you take a deep breath and then exhale out. Yeah. Wow. Relax your anus. Um, sorry, I got Okay, we're gonna cut out all of that stuff. We're going to keep the Tennessee Tanner floor. I think that might be a good B-roll. I think this is going to be a good episode. It's going to be a good episode. Or it's going to suck. We don't know. (laughs) It's like the whole podcast. It's like a silly guy. (laughs) Song Divers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood district of St. Petersburg, Florida.